Hello, you are listening to Canecast, a podcast that provides commentary on the economy and financial markets by the Kane Anderson Rudnick Investment Management Team. Hello, this is Jordan Greenhouse, Managing Director with Kane Anderson Rudnick, and with me today I have Doug Foreman, Chief Investment Officer at Kane Anderson Rudnick. Doug, as always, thank you for your time today. Doug, the first quarter of 2022 saw an increase in overall market volatility across both domestic and international markets. We also saw a continuation of the sell-off in gross stocks to start the year, supported in addition to the concerns related to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Can you provide our listeners with your perspectives on the first quarter of 2022? Well, the first quarter was obviously difficult for both equities and particularly fixed income as interest rates materially increased during the course of the quarter. As you'll recall, back in November, the Fed uh, pivoted and went to a very hawkish mode, given that inflation was no longer considered transitory by them, but more sticky, and therefore they needed to embark on a, on a series of rate increases in order to uh, slow down excess demand. So as we came into the first quarter of this year, you know, inflation was being driven by very strong consumer demand, particularly here in the U.S., but really globally as well. And supply constraints, which were hurting many businesses' ability to get parts and and get things from China and other uh, supply chain issues, which were being shut down from time to time due to continued COVID-19 issues in the marketplace. Um, Interestingly, as the quarter progressed, uh, Omicron COVID-19 got a lot better. Uh, and the fears that people had of uh, that virus getting worse uh, didn't materialize and actually significantly improved. But just as that was happening, Russia managed to invade the Ukraine, uh, which further escalated inflation fears because of uh, Russian sanctions and a variety of reasons. In terms of Russia, it's interesting. It's not a direct impact on most U.S. businesses. There's only a few companies that I'm even aware of that do a material amount of business in Russia. The direct impact is really minimal to the S&P 500. But the indirect impact is very important because Russia is a huge exporter of oil and gas, obviously, to Western Europe uh, and other parts of the world and a big member of OPEC. And then they also provide a lot of aluminum and raw materials of various types that they export, along with corn and wheat. They're a major exporter. So their commodity exposure is really important. And the weakness and inability to supply commodities in a period where we already were hurting has really exacerbated and made the inflation scenario that we came into the year with uh, even worse for different reasons, obviously, than COVID-19. And so what you saw was the market really dramatically increased uh, interest rates. It didn't wait around for the Fed's announcement in March. The two-year rate had uh, gone from 0.73 at the beginning of the year, which was already up from basically zero if you went back to last summer, from 0.73 at the beginning of this year to 2.3, reflecting the market's expectation that the Fed would have to get even more aggressive on on the path of future interest rates in order to slow demand down and, and try to get the, the current inflation, which is obviously unacceptable, under control. So it's difficult to say how this is going to pan out uh, because obviously the war in Ukraine is very unpredictable, to say the least, and how much of a lasting impact this gonna, is going to or have or not have on commodity markets and therefore inflation is really debatable and unclear at this point in time. Keep in mind, the Fed can discourage demand, but they really can't control supply issues, whether it's supply chain issues because of COVID-19 type shutdowns or supply issues because of a war in, um, in uh, Russia. So 
there's only so much they can do. And so what we saw in the first quarter in response to this in the equity markets was that inflation beneficiaries, companies like energy companies with the price of oil going up a lot, raw material uh, stocks, and some banks because of the increasing yield curve for the time being were the best performers as a result of the inflation pickup that we saw in the first quarter due to this war. Uh, Growth stocks, uh, particularly long-duration assets or unprofitable businesses, performed the poorest. They really got hurt pretty badly. And because of this, what you saw was the Russell 1000 dramatically outperformed the Russell 1000, I'm sorry, the Russell 1000 value uh, index dramatically outperformed the Russell 1000 growth benchmark because the growth benchmark has a lot more technology in it than the than the value benchmark does. And the value benchmark has more materials and energy and types of companies that do benefit from inflation overall. So that was really what happened in the first quarter. Doug, another topic that's all over the news is the Fed has made it clear that they are quite concerned about slower growth and increased inflationary pressures moving forward. They began their tightening and their initial interest rate hike in March 22. And we wanted to get your perspective on how you feel investors should be thinking about this more hawkish stance by the Federal Reserve. Well, in terms of the Fed, they're really trying to thread the needle between slowing uh, inflation and getting inflation under control and not killing the patient, i.e. pushing the, the U.S. economy into a recession. And it's difficult to do this since monetary policy really operates with the lag. As most most of you know, usually monetary policy takes somewhere between 6 to 18 months to actually see the effects of increases in rates or decreases in rates when you're trying to stimulate the economy. And obviously at this point in time, the Fed is trying to slow the economy. So it's hard to do that without causing a recession and overdoing it. And so we'll we'll see how that pans out. But it's important to understand that the market has already dramatically adjusted interest rates. All you got to do is go down and try to buy a car or a lease a car or go buy a house these days and you'll find very quickly that mortgage rates and auto loan rates have adjusted dramatically. The two years I mentioned earlier uh, went up a lot during the course of the quarter um, and the yield curve which started the year positively sloped, has finished the quarter with a basic flattening and some minor inversion in the two and ten year. So, and that's after just one rate increase. So the market's expecting already eight more increases by the Fed. I believe it really remains to be seen how many they actually do, given the flatness of the yield curve today, unless they want to kill the patient. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how many uh, Fed increases actually occur. It's clear that short term there's going to be many and probably another 50 basis points in the next couple of meetings to, for the Fed to catch up to where the market really already is. And interestingly, as you'll notice, the first Fed increase, which occurred in the middle of March, finally, uh, that they announced, that was the day that the market started to take off and had a really significant two-week rally after the Fed actually increased rates because the market had already discounted it way in advance, which I think is the case that we're going to see as we move forward. Doug, last question. Domestic markets have been stronger than international markets over the past few years, which has continued into 2022. What are your thoughts related to the opportunities in the international marketplace, given the geopolitical backdrop? Uh, in terms of international stocks, you know, the international indexes, they held in actually fairly well in the first quarter, modestly underperforming the S&P 500. Uh, but given all the geopolitical factors and risks that occurred during the quarter, um, you know, that's actually pretty good performance. 
But the biggest reason that that happened is that, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, weakness in the market was concentrated in the tech sector uh, in particular, uh, particularly some of the small, medium, and even the big companies uh, got hit pretty hard in the first quarter. And in the international markets indices, many of these have little to no tech exposure. And the reason is they don't have any companies that are really globally competitive, particularly in Europe and Japan. They have a few, but I can list them on one hand, basically in both markets. So those indices, you know, if tech continues to perform for poorly, then those indices may continue to hang in there pretty well. But they're not major inflation beneficiaries, and they're not... Um, they're not really tech beneficiaries, so they're sort of. It's difficult to sort of forecast where they actually fit in a portfolio these days. And I'm talking about the big cap area, not the smaller cap area. There's always room for for small companies in in the international markets that can do well, regardless of the overall environment. Emerging markets performed, you know, poorer than international markets for obvious reasons to, uh, due to Russia during the course of the quarter. And also, Chinese, uh, the Chinese economy continues to be very weak and, and continues to be a regulatory n- nightmare and has a weak property sector. So it's been in- difficult for investors to invest in China as well. So interestingly, I think you know, developed markets secularly aren't really attractively out. There isn't an attractive outlook for this secular uh, story in international markets. There is a secular story that is powerful for emerging markets. But short term, there's just too many headwinds in terms of geopolitical and and regulatory nightmare, particularly in in China, where the businesses don't know what the rules are when they go to work every day, which makes it very difficult to make investments. So I'd say stay put for the time being. Doug, as always, thank you very much for your time and the insight you provide our listeners. We look forward to future conversations. Kane Cast is the official podcast series of Kane Anderson Rutnick Investment Management. Car. This material is provided as a matter of general information and is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast or research. The opinions expressed herein are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the opinions of CAR or its affiliates, are current as of the date and time of the recording, and are subject to change at any time due to changes in the market or economic conditions. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by CAR to be reliable and are not necessarily all-inclusive. CAR does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of this information. This communication should not be construed as an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any security. Individuals should consult with a qualified financial professional before making any investment decisions. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. To the extent any performance is discussed, past performance is not indicative of future results.